And when we look at where worldly musicians go, and for our young people to aspire to sing for the highest, the king, the best, we need to support them, we need to praise them, and we need to enjoy what God is doing with them. And it's just a blessing to hear them sing words of Zion. You know, that was a three-point sermon. In the beauty of holiness, we have come to worship. And when you have that worship relationship with Jesus, the walls of the enemy come tumbling down. And the appeal is because how great God is. Somebody ought to say amen. Not just our audience, we are so thankful for our higher ground group, those young men. I tell you, the only way I could sing a note that high is if I was back at the World Trade Center, but that's not there anymore. <laughs> praise God. And our praise team night after night is a wonderful group of young people that just give us the spirit of love. You know, when you're singing those songs of Zion, they do something for you. Those good old hymns. I said those good old hymns. I love to hear the hymns, and I, and I love the contemporary gospel also, but when you're really down and low and you can't get up, one of those hymns can sure bring you up. Come on now. And you know what? You might not have even heard it for a long time, but that whole verse after verse, they'll just come right back to you and soothe your soul. So I'm just excited here tonight to be in our camp meeting second day. Uh, how many made it out this morning at 6 o'clock? It looks like all of you, and that was a blessing. We were all here, and it's just been a power-packed day. Somebody ought to say amen. You know, I, I know people hate for you to say, say amen. And that's why I don't say it that much. I don't, because, you know, people say, well, I'm comfortable where I am, and we have to let people be comfortable where they are. But I just want to give you a hint, something that you'll understand. When I was at Oakwood College then, it's university now, our director of religion and theology was Dr. Benjamin Reeves. And he said to us in one of our classes, he said, pastors, you have to let the people understand. Now, you know, we don't want people to shouting amen when you say, uh, uh, turn to page 542, you know, make it be substantive. But he said, to let the congregation know when you say amen to a preacher while he's preaching, it's like saying sick him to a dog. When you say sick him to a dog, when you put your dog on, do you do that to somebody? I know we don't do that. But when you say sick him boy, get him, and that dog jumps up and bites somebody, it's like saying sick him to the preacher where he'll jump up and bite that devil. Now, if you can understand that, you can understand why preachers like to hear you say amen. Well, the night has gone by. It wasn't on my time, and I, and I can't sing, so we're going to have to go straight to work. Is that okay? Let's go to work. Let us pray. Loving Father, again, you have blessed us throughout this wonderful camp meeting day. And even now, as we come into thy house, into thy courts, as we have been blessed with beautiful music, beautiful words of inspiration, prayers that have gone up to your very throne, we are thankful for the time. And even now, Lord, I pray that you would use me as sinners saved by grace. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Let the light of the glorious gospel shine through. Let it stir our hearts that we might have a experience that will empower us, encourage us, and most of all, keep us until the day that we shall see you face to face 
is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last night's message dealt with our theme. Our theme, making God known. A theme that is nothing more, ladies and gentlemen, if we get down to the bottom line, nothing more than a, a reaffirmation of the Great Commission to go ye therefore into all the world. And if you remember our first text last night, it was from Mark chapter 16, verse 5, where Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and to preach the good news to every creature. And then we looked at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And in Matthew, tw Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we saw that not only were we sent, but we were given a job to do. We were given the job to teach and then baptize. Now, folks, when we look at that commission that Jesus gave us before he left, when we are instructed and commissioned to teach the folk we have to teach them right because what has been placed on us is the responsibility of teaching men, women, boys, and girls about God to the point of not just giving them information. You see, we have to be careful how we teach. Some people will give the message, the information, in a dogmatic fashion that turns people off. I remember when I first started going to church, and ladies and gentlemen, I never went to church until I was 22 years old, never in a church all of my life until I was 22. And I remember some of the people in there, uh, their, their attitude was very dogmatic with the Seventh-day Adventist church. And the, instead of them teaching me and showing me about Jesus, they were telling me, if you either accept the Sabbath or you're going to hell. We have to learn how to teach in love, not in a dogmatic spirit, not in an air of supremacy. We, we must have a spirit of humility, and we must have long-suffering, we must have patience, and we have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, and this is important, that we are not trying to make disciples after ourselves, but disciples for Christ. Because many of us want people who we are working with to be like us. This is the way I do it. This is the way I eat. You use your views in what worship is like and what your views of what music should be like and what sermons should be preached and how they should dress. You let God take care of all of that. He will do that in the right time. Our job is to teach them about Jesus, about his cross, about his commandments, about his second coming. We are to let them experience the joy and love that comes from knowing that there's somebody there that cares, somebody there that's available, someone who is there who is coming back again, someone who will never leave them. We have to let them know that Jesus cares about you personally, about your family, about your needs. He understands our pain. He understands our struggle. You have to let them know that he's a personal God. Oh, yes, he's a mighty God. God, but he's a mighty personal good God too, and he has a special love for each and every one of us. He sees us as individuals whom he died for. And when you teach that right, Jesus is not saying you teach him and then no one's going to get baptized. He's saying teaching them 
and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because when people are taught right and they see what you are teaching reflects in your life and the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to ignite in their mind and to start that whole new birth process, there's no question about who's going to be baptized. They will say, take me to the water because I want to be a part of the people who are the people of God. And that is the go ye. And that is the gospel. And that is making God known. When we came to Luke chapter 24, verses 45, when Jesus was again opening the understanding to his disciples about who he said he was and who he proved he was and who they knew he was, they had hope, but they didn't have faith. And we saw that again last night, that many times we have hope, but we don't have enough faith to change us to be what we've been hoping for. That's why it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Hebrews 11, verse 1. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. When we have the faith to believe that we can't do it by ourselves, but we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us, then we will see some results in our Christian experience. Then we won't be pressing so hard trying to do it our way, but we will let the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit transform our minds. We will become those new creatures that Paul talks about. If any man be in Christ, he becomes a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. We begin to see and experience a change. You don't know how it happened, but God made it happen. And the bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about you doing it because we can't do it. It's about him doing it in us like he promised. Last night we saw in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. He knows what's wrong with us, but he can fix it. The reason why he hasn't fixed so many things in us because we haven't let him fix it. He needs our permission slip. Come on, if you say amen. Oh, I'm sorry I said that, I'm about to just <laughs> sick him. When we allow the Holy Spirit to have control of our lives, when we submit to him, when we pray the prayer like David said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, we are giving him permission to do what needs to be done. We give him permission to change me, to make me new, to cleanse me, to take away from me the things I like to do that I know that are wrong, but I can't stop doing them. I have the will to do good, but my physical being, when I get into the atmosphere of the temptation, I give in to myself. I give in to my vanity. I give in to my own desire. Folks, we don't sin with things we don't like to do. We sin with things we like to do. Oh, don't get quiet on me now. We don't do anything we don't want to do. We're grown and over 21 in this group. Oh, you'll get that by Tuesday. It is a submission 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says knows our infirmities. And we know not what we should pray for as we want, but the Spirit himself make intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he that searched the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, Jesus knows what we need. The Spirit knows what we need. As the Holy Spirit prays to the Father for us, and as Jesus prays to the Father for us, we can't go wrong. What holds things up is us. But if you turn to the same chapter 8, book of Romans, verse 31, it says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? In other words, ladies and gentlemen, if God is on our side, how can we lose? I look in my Bible, and I'm turning to the book of John. What book did I say? John chapter 15. John 15. We need to see this and understand it because so many times we get confused. In John 15, verse 16, it says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Ladies and gentlemen, when you pray the prayer, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, keep me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, give me one more chance. And friends, we had more than one more chance. When we have given that prayer to Jesus, the Holy Spirit prompting us to say it, the Holy Spirit talking to the Father about it, Jesus talking to the Father about it, holding up his blood-stained hands, seeing that pierced side from dying for our unholy affections, knowing what his son went through for us, that prayer has to be answered. You might go back and forth, but the Lord keeps you alive sometimes to save you. You know, sometimes they say the good die young. Well, in a way, that's kind of true because it's all right for them to die. I'm not trying to say anything about us. I forgot we're in the adult section, that we're here, that we're wicked. I'm not saying that. Come on. Come on. But what I'm saying is, ladies and gentlemen, that God has allowed us to still be in the land of the living because he's saving us. He's working on us. He's shaping us. He's molding us. You and I know if some of us would have died 10 years ago, maybe we would have been outside the ark of safety. Maybe a year ago, outside the ark of safety. Maybe a week ago, outside the ark of safety. But he allowed us once again to be alive, and each day we have a new lease on life, and each day we have a new opportunity to give our hearts to him. And even during the course of a day, we go back and forth in our experience, but he is still there reeling us in, holding us with cords of love. That's the God we serve. 
He died that we might have life. He died that we might one day be with him. He died, ladies and gentlemen, for us. There's no reason for anyone here to go to hell for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in Luke 24, verses 45 through 48, he told them to go forward and preach the gospel, that same gospel that teaches, that brings a point of decision in people's minds to baptism that they might understand repentance and remission of sin. And he says that he has ordained us, he has chosen us, that we might bring forth fruit. That fruit is twofold. It's internal fruit. The fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, 22, all the way through. And fruit and seeing men, women, boys, and girls come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ by our testimony and by our lifestyle. We saw that last night when that woman at the well, all she did was listen and fess up. Come on now. All she did was ask for forgiveness. All she did is say, come see a man that changed me. Ladies and gentlemen, if we would just share with our neighbors, come see a man that saved me, a man that cares about me, a man that loves me, a man that died for me, a man that makes sure my bills are on time. I might not have when I want, but when I need it, it's always there. A God who makes sure that I always have something to eat, a roof over my head, peace of mind in my body, the God that has the ability to cause cancer to leave, and if the cancer doesn't leave, he gives me tranquility and peace because I know that on a great getting up morning, I'm going to come up from the grave with a brand new body with no cancer, no pain, no arthritis. You know, I told my wife, I said, honey, now if I die, there's two things, two things I want you to do. First of all, don't bring nobody in this house. <laughs> See, I thought the men would like that, but anyway. And I said, if, if I die and I had some infirmity, don't put, no, don't, don't put a cane in a casket with me. Don't put my contacts or glasses in there. I won't be needing them when I get up. If it comes later on and, 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 and I need a toupee, listen, don't put my toupee in the casket because when I'm coming up, I'm going to be brand new. I'm going to be brand new from my head to my toe. Don't put my false teeth in the casket. I don't want them no more. You go to these funerals, and they got the glasses sitting there, and they got the pretty Sabbath cane. They don't need that. When we come up out that casket, ladies and gentlemen, on that great getting up morning, we're going to come up in the newness of strength. We're going to come up in the youth and vigor of Christ Jesus. We're going to come up with, with feelings like we never had when we were alive, when we were 21 or better, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to come up with the power to be able to go through the atmosphere without a space suit on because we're going to be with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We're going to come up with the vigor that we can leap past buildings fly over mountains and be with Jesus seven days going back to glory land. Keep that stuff in the room. Give it, donate it. 
says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should not, that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it unto you. When we talk about our salvation, because we have to be able to know him ourselves before we can even talk to others about him. And the power that animates us to be able to be new creatures, to be able to ask anything in his name without feeling sad or sorry or, or, or just doubtful. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. God promised us through his son Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when he left, after he gave the commission, he told us that we would have power. He says in verse 8 of Acts 1, and you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto othermost parts of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, that power of the Holy Spirit will give us the power to live a holy life. You already have it at your disposal. I have it at my disposal. But folks, to be filled with the Spirit, we have to empty ourselves of ourselves. And that's the problem. But also the power of the Holy Spirit, it will give us the power to understand God's Word. You know, I told you I never went to church till I was 22. And I remember one day when I was a teenager, my mom had this beautiful uh, um, coffee table. I guess since I'm Adventist now, it must have been a, po a posting table. <laughs> and it was big, beautiful Bible sitting there. And I said, well, let me, let me just see what's in here. Now, don't think that we were heathens. It was nothing like that. It's just my mom and father didn't believe in organized religion. They taught us about God. They taught us about prayer. They taught us to pray. They taught us about Jesus. You know, but my mom was raised in a foster home uh, by a religious organization. And by their spirit and their works made her not want to do any, have anything to do with organized religion. And you can understand that folks are so heavenly minded that they're not earthly good. They're religious but not spiritual. So she said when we get older, we can make the choices on our own. So one day I picked that Bible up and I opened it up. And oh no, you know what I turned to. I put the revelation. And it said, beasts coming out of the sea. And I said, Lord, 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 close that book up put it inside the coffee table. I said, this thing scared me to death. I, I wouldn't even, I, I walk around it, you know, I, I wouldn't even touch it. I knew it was God's word, it was true, but it was just too much. But now, by God's grace, that's my favorite book of the Bible to preach on. If I had to take one book out of all the Bible, I'd take the book of Revelation. There are 535 quotes in the book of Revelation from all the other books of the Bible. All the books in the Bible is ended need in Revelation. It's for us. It's a now time book. I better watch it. I'll start a series right here starting on Revelation, but I got to stick to the theme. The power to understand God's word, the power to live a holy life, the power to be an effective witness, it comes from the Holy Spirit. 
So when I look at that and I look at that and I say, man, God has given us something special here. He has called us. He has ordained us. He has commissioned us. He has sent us. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. He tells us to go into all the world. So when we look at that church and when we look at us, we're the ones who he is sending out. This is not just for preachers. That's for everybody who is under the bloodstained banner. You saw what I showed us last night. It's in the Word of God. It's in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. We all know that text. It's there for us. It tells us in verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which not which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. When we look about, when we look at what we are about and what God has designated us to do, we see that we, the church, is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, not potlucks. It's not your private country club, church. It's not for you and your family to ruin with thrones on top of thrones year after year after year. It is not the treasurer's perpetual domain where he will sign and send checks when he wants to. I know that doesn't happen over here in the UK. My Bible tells me that we are this called and chosen generation. Spirit of Prophecy, page 11, Acts of the Apostles says that from the beginning it has been God's plan that through his church shall be reflected to the world his fullness and his sufficiency. The members of the church, those who he has called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, are to show forth his glory. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a question to ask you as we embrace this theme, making God know, is his glory shining in you? Can your neighbors, can your family, those who you work with, do they know that you have a connection with the king of kings and lord of lords? It says the church is God's fortress, his city of refuge, which he holds in a revolted world. Any betrayal of the church is treachery to him who has bought mankind with the blood of his only begotten son. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a high cost for us to be called sons and daughters of God. And too many times we don't think of that. Too many times we think about ourselves. Too many times we think of the struggle that we're going through. But ladies and gentlemen, when you are going through that struggle, you must turn back to Romans chapter 8 and embrace verse 28. It says, and we know that all things work together for good for them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. So if he has called you, if he has ordained you, if he has commissioned you, if he has given us power, then we need to go ye and make God known. Now, when we add all of that up, it should mean that we have an easy journey. You all look like you don't agree with me. 
It should be an easy journey because we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on our side. El Shaddai, El Elyon, Jehovah Jireh. He's on our side. He has commissioned us. He's given us authority. We have the power of the Holy Spirit not at our disposal that we use him, but he becomes that indwelling power in us and animates us. So when we look at that, we should say, we have an easy road. But you know and I know that on the day you accepted Jesus Christ, life got hard. If it was hard then, it got hard even more. And the reason being, ladies and gentlemen, because the day you accepted Jesus, the day you crossed that line, the day you made that mental admission that you wanted to be baptized and be one of his blood-stained banner soldiers, the day that you said that you would be different from this world and you reject the theology of this world, the day you said that silver and gold is not what you want, you want to be with the king who gives the silver and gold and who will one day have you walk on golden streets, the one who died for you on Calvary when you you said that you enlisted yourself against a mighty, mighty army, against a supernatural foe, someone who hates you with a passion. My Bible says that he hates those individuals that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, he's talking about us specifically. He hates all Christians, but we're the top one on his FBI list. When you accepted Jesus Christ, you align yourself up with the King of Kings, but you also are now standing across the, the, the battlefield against the Prince of Darkness. But even with that, even though he's a supernatural being who has lived for thousands of years, millenniums, even though he has the power and he's called the prince and power of the air, even though he can do some things to your body and even play with your mind, I go back to our scripture, Matthew, Romans 8, verse 31. It says, what shall we then say of all of these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So even though it's not going to be an easy road, even though the battle is going to be hard, you and I must embrace the scriptures for it says in Romans 15 verse 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Embracing the word of God lets us know that even though we're on the battlefield and even though it might seem that you're by yourself, you are not by yourself. He is by your side. I look at the patriarch Job. Turn with me to Job chapter 1. Job wasn't a priest. Job wasn't a preacher. Job was nothing more but a faithful family man. Somebody ought to say amen for being a faithful family man. He was doing what God asked him to do. And he was so good. Now, folks, can you imagine? I mean, I wish, I wish Jesus could say this about me. 
in chapter 1 of the book of Job, it tells us in verse number 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, whence comest thou? Now, folks, you ought to know God knew where he was. He was just asking a question. He was being polite. He's omniscient. That means he has all knowledge. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere that there is. There's no place that God can't be because then that's no place. Oh, you all are sleeping on me again. Amen, sickum. God said to him, where were you? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and from in the earth and walking up and down in the earth, acting like it's his. You know, you ever see those folks try to act like they have something, but they don't have anything? He's a phony. Can I stop a minute? Don't count this to sermon time. Before you answer me, I'm going to go on. Satan's crazy. Say, say Satan's crazy. Say, Satan, you crazy. What did he have that could qualify him to be in charge of heaven? What did he have? The only thing he could do was sing. Now, singing is fine, but to run heaven, <laughs> to run the universe, to be able to create life, you need divinity. He's walking up and down the earth. Yeah, I'm walking up and down the earth. He says, walking up and down in the earth. And the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him in the earth. You know, the Lord is like, I got you. A perfect and an upright man, one that fears God, not afraid of him, but respecting him, and ensueth evil. Satan just lost it. Satan answered the Lord and said, does, God, does Job fear God for not? Has thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? And thou hast blessed the works of his hand and his substance increased in the land. Put forth your hand now and touch all that he had and he will curse thee to thy face. In other words, Satan was saying, I bet you. I bet you if you take that hedge away from him. And ladies and gentlemen, you need to know, I need to know, we need to remember that as God's children in this wicked world in which we live, there is a hedge about you. There are angels watching over you at night that never sleep nor slumber. They are mighty angels from the most high God, celestial beings with majesty and power that keep the enemy from coming into your house. They may come into your dreams, ladies and gentlemen, but there is a remedy for that. If you ever have a dream where you can't run or you can't move or you see them coming, there's one thing that stops them every time. Just say the mighty name of Jesus. Call on his name. There's power in that name. Call him on the name of Jesus. It'll give you power to start even moving in your dream. Now, that's some power. You call on him in his dream, there's power. You call on him in real life, there's power. He said there's a hedge about him. I can't get to him. You blessed him. The Lord says if we're faithful, he'll bless us. He says I wish above all things, ladies and gentlemen, that you prosper. 
and be in health even as your soul prosper. What does that mean? I'm not talking about prosperity religion. Jesus is saying if you had the spirituality that was equal to your prosperity, if you were really spiritual, you could truly be blessed with good health and wealth because God's the one that gives power. Now, folks, when I was back in school a long time ago, as the brother said in the introduction, it said that in most churches, only 30% of the membership are faithful in their tithe. So if you look at people who are unfaithful in their tithe, even though the God blesses them and puts a hedge about them, they can have so much more spirituality and they can have many more blessings. But some of us, God has to keep poor because if we had money, we wouldn't, instead of vacation here, oh, we'd be on the Riviera somewhere. <laughs> instead of having communion wine in your hand, you have yourself a Shirley Temple or something else. I don't even know the drinks out there anymore. You were just gone. And, and, then you, and then you satisfy yourself with saying, oh, Jesus drank wine. A hedge about him. I can't get to him. You are protecting him. But if you take it down, he'll curse you to his face. Now, Job is having a good life. He's happy. It said that Job would wake up in the morning and he would lay down sacrifices for his children in case they sinned against God. Not only himself, he was a family man. The Lord said, you're on. See what you can do. And it says in verse 13, and there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants and the, with the edge of the sword. And I, only I, escaped alone to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and have burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I am only escaped to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, number three, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I am the only escaped one to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came another also and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I I only am escaped to tell thee. All in one day, in a manner of minutes, his perfect world is shattered, loses all of his possession and all of his children. And I know if we could have asked Job, what would you rather lose, your children or your possessions? He would say, take my possessions, but keep my children. Job, is at a point where his faith has to reach out to God, ladies and gentlemen. He is embracing the words that were written by Paul before they were written. All things work together to good for those who are called, those individuals who are living a life according to the promises of God, those people who trust him. He looks up 
rents his mantle, shaves his head, and falls down on the ground, and he worshiped. And he says, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His trust, his faith was in God. Can you imagine if you were on your iPhone or your Blackberry or your Galaxy or your Samsung, whatever it is, and the calls are coming in and you're clicking over and this is gone. You click over the next call and this is gone. Clicking over the next call, your whole world ruined. I dare say some of us would question God's integrity. Some of us would swear him off and walk away and never return to church. But Job was faithful. Job was trusting. He realized that the God he serves, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. You have to keep that in mind in every situation. We can't always see the end from the beginning, but God can. And we trust him to be our eyes and to be our ears and to be our mouth and to lead our direction. Friends, when you can't see him, he's still there. He promised he would never put more on us than we can ever bear. So if it comes to you, even though it's heavy, even though it's hard, even though it's rough, even though it's, 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 it's extraordinary weight, if Jesus brought it to you, he's going to take you through it. And we shout amen. But if it came to us, some of us would walk away. They have the next meeting. The Lord said, uh, I like my servant Job. He still holds fast his integrity. Verse 3, chapter 2. Even though thou moved me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but save his life. And that's important for us to understand. God didn't do that to him. He just removed the power of protection so the devil could get to him. And folks, you have to understand, and I have to understand, when things go wrong, it's not Jesus doing it to you. He is not the author of evil. He is not the author of pain. The Bible says God is love, and he loves us. And he allows things to happen to us that he sees that we can go through to make us stronger, to make us better. And to be witnesses, even though Job didn't know he was going to be a witness. Now, folks, I heard preachers say this, and I've heard teachers say this, but if the devil would have known that Job would have been so strong and the influence that he has laid down for us all, he would have never bothered with that man. 
He would have never bothered with that man because what he has done, he has given a living witness, a testimony that if you trust God, even when you can't see him, God is going to bless you in the end. And even though Job thought that he was never going to recover from his situation, and if you look at it in chapter 19 of his book, it says that he had the faith to believe that God would even deliver him in the resurrection. It says in verse 25 of Job 19, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter days upon the earth. And though after worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh I will see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Through though my reins be consumed within me. He thought he was going to die. The only thing he said that was a little negative, but he was saying it about himself, not to God. He said, I wish that I had never been born. And I think I wish I had a dollar for every time I had said that in my life. How about you? But we see, we see that God rewarded his faithfulness. When you turn to chapter 42, the last chapter of his book, you see the words beginning with verse 12. It says, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she asses. And he had seven sons and three daughters. And then we move down to the last two verses. It says, and after this, after this crisis, it says, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. And Job died being old and full of days. And then he's going to get resurrected. Amen. I look at that and I say, well, if things go wrong in my life, there's a God in heaven who's watching. You have to say that. When things are going crazy and there's a crisis, don't fret, don't complain, don't whine, don't give up. God is watching. Heaven is watching. They want to see how we endure the trial that he saw fit to bring us to cause us to have a glorious ending. We have to embrace that type of theology, ladies and gentlemen. We have to embrace that type of God who says that all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and who are called according to his promise. Joseph. Joseph. Sold into slavery by his brothers. Falsely accused by an ancient day cougar. Thirteen years in jail, prison. Why did God forsake me? No, those words don't come out of his lips. He just holds on. Folks, God might not come when you want him, but he's always on time. And when he came, he took him from prison to palace. Second in charge of the greatest nation in the world at that time and placing him there that he might nurture his chosen people even though they were in slavery for 400 years before he sent them out into the promised land. So if your circumstances are hard, just hold on to the test, 
hold on in the crisis. Trust God. He's going to bring you through if you trust him. Make God known. Moses wanted to do it himself. He became a murderer and a fugitive. 40 years he spent in Egypt, and now he spends 40 years with the sheep as a shepherd thinking his life is over at 80, but it's only just beginning. I thank God that when Jesus comes into your life, I don't care how old you are, your life becomes new. Your life can be respectable. Your life can be functional. Your life can be glorious. When Jesus is in your life, ladies and gentlemen, you have all the power you need. He gives you vigor. He gives you strength. He gives you peace of mind. He gives you power. He gives you influence. He takes you to places you would have never been without him. He leads the children of Israel. And folks, you know what? If there's one church that was the hardest church of any church was those folks in the wilderness. And he wasn't like us today who had a five-year or maybe eight-year uh, pastoring. No, thank God some of, no, I didn't say that. Oh, and this is going to the internet. Well, it, some pastors, are, you think you, you happy sometimes when the pastor leaves? Sometimes pastors dancing too when he leaves. Because the saints can wear you out. Talk about wear the patience of the saints. Don't wear the patience of the pastors. But we're here doing this work together, but I know that doesn't happen in the UK, so I'm going to move on. But Moses had these hard-headed folk. I mean, they were hard-headed. They were seeing the manifestations of God, the manifestations of God's power, awesome power. I mean, after all of the plagues, for you to mess up, after the Red Sea opening up, going through on dry land, after manna coming down from heaven, 40 years they ate angels' food. Their shoes didn't wear out. I know you ladies would have been mad. Their shoes didn't wear out. Clothing didn't wear out. Forty years in the wilderness, him blessing them, and then they get in the promised land. And as the young people sing today, the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. All you did was walk around them seven days, and on the seventh day you walked around it seven times, and you got complete victory. This is the God they served, and they still gave Moses. Well, he wasn't there at Jericho. Somebody just said, I'm going to tell him a note. That was Joshua. Joshua was his associate pastor. Hello. But you get my point. And you all know what happened to Moses. It got to that point where the folks messed up that time when he was giving them that water the last time. And instead of speaking to the rock, he violated what God said and he struck the rock. And he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Couldn't go. After putting up with those hard-headed folks for 40 years, all he could do was see it. Now, some of us would have said, is this the thanks I get? Come on now, tell the truth. You know what it said. You'd have been mad with God. You'd have got an attitude. And after 40 years, I put up with these hard-headed folks. We'd have talked to the conference president. Oh, you left me there 40 years, and we did all of this, and we finally get there, and I can't go in the new building? Lord said, no. The higher position you have, the more responsibility we have. 
the more influence we have. If I left this slide with you, then others might think that they can slide when doing what they want to do. You can't go in, Moses. You can't go in the promised land. And Moses, like Job, said, let your will be done, God. Whatever you say, it's all right with me. And the Bible says that the Lord, the Lord buried Moses and left him there. But folks, not for long. You see, all things work together for good, for them to love the Lord who are called according to his promise. And I can imagine, this is just my imagination, so don't say I said it's in the scripture. Spirit of prophecy didn't say it this way. But I can imagine the father and the son were talking, and they said, you know what? We miss Moses. He was faithful. I fulfilled what I needed to do for the influence of these individuals. I didn't let them go into the promised land. I had to do what I said I would do. But it's nothing wrong with me, who is the resurrection and the life, going to get my son. I can bring him to the real promised land. I think he would appreciate it more. And it tells us in the book of Jude, 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 help me, Jude verse 9. It says, when he came with an entourage of angels to get Moses, that Satan had the nerve to step up and say, hey, 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 he's mine. He's mine, he's mine. And then the Lord, you know, I, I, just, I just love what the Lord says. The Lord just looked at him and it said, the Lord rebuked him. In my mind, in today's language, I can see the Lord looking at him and say, whatever. You have no power here. He's mine. And he takes him on to glory land. Church, we're closing tonight. But I want you to understand this. If God has called you, and he has called all of us, he has ordained us, he has commissioned us, we have to go forward. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. But trust in the Lord. Trust in his goodness. Trust in his mercy. Trust in his word. Trust in where he has placed you and the trust he has placed in you. It's not going to be an easy road, but he will bring us through. When we look at the disciples, James was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Simon was crucified in Africa. Jude and Andrew were also crucified. Matthew was beaten and then crucified in India. Thomas was passed through with pagan spears. Mark, they took him in between two horses and tore him apart. And then good old Paul, the one who wrote Romans chapter 8 in all the book of Romans, 50 chapters in all, he was beheaded at Rome, but not before he wrote the words in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we have to do. He says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them that love his appearing. There's a crown of glory for you, a crown of glory for me, but we have to bear our cross. Making Christ known is a cross but it will translate to a crown. 
a crown of eternal life, a crown that will never perish, a crown that we will take and cast off at the feet of our blessed Savior and Lord and God when we stand on the sea of glass face to face in infinite paradise, infinite glory because we have been justified, because we've been sanctified and one day we'll be glorified, never more to be poured. And ladies and gentlemen, when we understand if God be for us, nothing can stand against us. We'll be what God wants us to be, an army of soldiers, an army of individuals who have been transformed by the renewing of our mind, a light shining in the darkness, preparing the people for the king. It's time, it's time, it's time to let God reign.